Beloved in the Lord, Psalm 27 brings out the joy of the closeness that the Christian may have to God, even as our lives are filled with conflict, enemies, war, false accusations, friends and family that might turn against us. Even in the midst of this, we have the comfort of a God who cares for us. And this comfort is not only a salve to heal our wounds, it's a place of profound joy. We are free to enjoy our God, to come in communion with Him, so that we may fulfill the original purpose for which we were created, the worship and enjoyment of our holy God. While Psalm 26 focuses on the integrity of the psalmist, Psalm 27 brings us to the source of the integrity, trust in God. That trust is strengthened by the close communion with the Lord. The psalmist seeks to dwell with the Lord so that he may gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Today we will be focusing on those three verbs, seek, dwell, and gaze. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, communion with the Lord makes us courageous in the face of conflict. Communion with the Lord makes us courageous in the face of conflict. First, we'll look at seeking the Lord. Second, we'll look at dwelling with the Lord. And third, we'll look at gazing upon the Lord. Augustine famously said, Our hearts are restless until we find rest in you, in God. David demonstrates something of the strength and security we may have in finding rest in God. His heart is at peace as he faces his enemies. That is to do with his exclusive seeking after God. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. It's one thing that he suggests, that suggests that this whole verse is a package. Seeking, dwelling, gazing, it's all part of the Christian life. They all come from seeking the Lord. The way the scriptures, the way this psalm used the word seek, suggests that there's a lot more going on than just a simple search and a find, as in, I lost my watch and now I found it. There's a sense of this initial search for God. We are moved by the Spirit to receive the word that we have heard, and so we go to the scriptures or a teacher of the scriptures, and we find God. But finding God is not simply a one-and-done action. Now Now I've found God, I put Him in the corner, and I move on to other things. No, seeking and finding God is about a lifelong pursuit of God. We can see this in the teaching of Christ, to seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness. We want to become mature in God. 
That is something that we have an initial moment of, I have found it. And then in the Christian life, we return to it again and again so that the kingdom of God may grow and so that we may be transformed to look more and more like God. We can see this very literally in our Christian walk. We begin the day with communion with God. We end the day with communion with God. We see God again in church on Sunday. There's an entrance and an exit in our communion with God. Now, in a certain sense, we say God is always with us. In another sense, as humans, we're limited as people. We're limited, and so we have times where we focus on God and times where our focus is on other things, even though that focus on God should inform all the things that we do. God remains the primary focus of our life, even while our minds discharge various other duties and enjoy the goodness of God's world. Yet, as is natural to humans, we have times of entrance and exit. That means we seek and we find time again and again. Now, there are a couple ways of thinking about this seeking that the psalmist speaks of. We can think about seeking knowledge. When I come to find out, say, the best way to grow vegetables in Manitoba, I have found knowledge, but my search for knowledge is not over. This is why we can speak of knowing God as as a way of seeking after God. We grow in the knowledge of God in our Christian life. Another example is seeking happiness or goodness. If I find that I am happy today, that doesn't mean I don't continue to seek happiness or goodness in my life. I have a desire to improve that happiness, even if I already see that I am happy. That too nicely connects to seeking after God, for it is those who seek after God who are truly happy, who have what the scriptures call joy. And this is something we continue to look to God for. We move from grace to grace, from joy to joy, from glory to glory. A final way to think about this is what people will sometimes call pursuing your spouse. This is a good example for God himself compares his relationship to us with a marriage. In marriage, you initially seek and find a spouse, a wife or a husband, but to have a good marriage, you have to continually seek the good of your husband or wife. You have to build up that relationship so that it will flower and bloom and so become productive. So the seeking the psalm calls us to is a continual seeking of God. This is particularly necessary to hear because of the remaining sin in us. If we do not actively pursue God, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we begin to stray. The prophets warn us that that's the natural inclination of man. For we, like sheep, have gone astray, everyone to his own way. But thanks be to God that he does not give up on us, but continues to pursue us and draw us back to his house. 
The desire to seek God's face, to seek to dwell in the house of the Lord, is first of all God's work in us. He is the good shepherd that pursues his sheep. The psalmist says this quite plainly in verse 8, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. God speaks, and it's his continual seeking that draws me to himself, draws me to seek him. As Christ says in John 10, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. It's important to remember in our seeking of the Lord, because the truth is, every one of us has moments where we fail to seek the Lord, where we forget the Lord, whether it's in focusing on the things of this earth, whether it's in our personal failures as fathers and mothers, or our failures in our relation to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We might wonder if the Lord still loves us, but the greatest comfort in that is that we do continue to hear His voice, His promise that He died for us, that He is our God and He will lead us, and taking comfort in that we can take fresh courage and continue to seek the Lord. The greatest reason we continue to encourage each one of you to read the Bible regularly and pray regularly is not so much that you continue to learn more, even for moral improvement, but so that you continue to hear the voice of the Lord in your lives. And hearing the voice of the Lord, you are comforted in knowing that you belong to Him, that He is King, that He's in control. 10,000 might die at my right hand, but I know the Lord has control over every day of my life. That's what will give you the confidence to confess the remainder of the psalm, the confidence we may have in the face of the troubles that the Lord sends our way, troubles that we may face calmly because in seeking the Lord, we also dwell with the Lord. It brings us to our second point, dwelling with the Lord. The psalmist asks for one thing. He seeks after one thing, and in that is everything that the psalmist needs or wants, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Again, we think of Augustine's quote, Our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. We are like Jesus in that we have no true home on this earth. Our true home is the courts of the Most High, Mount Zion, where Christ dwells. We can find true safety and comfort in these courts no matter what may happen to us on earth. And we can know that whatever does happen to us is within our Heavenly Father's loving will. As David says in verses 2 and 3, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. 
Though an army encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. And later in verse 5, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high on a rock. David, in speaking of dwelling with God, is thinking of the place of the ark in Jerusalem. He knows he is close to God. He wants to attach himself to the house of God like a priest in Israel. He's jealous of the priests and Levites who dwell in the house of God continually. And and he too wants to have that kind of closeness to God. As much as he can within the Old Testament order, David wants to be connected to his God. David's desires reflect the desires of Jesus in Luke 2, who wants to be in his father's house. You don't understand, mom and dad. I need to be in my father's house, learning and growing according to the word of his father. How much more we have in the same Christ, who has the fullness of God dwelling in himself. We don't look to an earthly temple where we are protected from the presence of God by curtains and smoke and sacrifices, but through the Spirit, we are brought into the very courtroom of God. As Paul teaches in Colossians, we are brought into the heavenly places in Christ even that we are safe in the same Christ who is at the right hand of God. Our goal in the Christian life is to dwell in the house of God. Like seeking, that is again one of those concepts that embraces what we might call a moving further up and further in. David could experience that dwelling at one level. The Christian can experience that dwelling at another level. And we look forward to the day when we shall see him face to face. Whereas David closes the psalm, we shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That is realized in part on this earth, in the full, in, in, in part on this earth, we do see in a certain sense God face to face today in Christ. But in fullness, when we go to be with Christ. This dwelling goes beyond any particular place here on earth. Even for David, when we believe in Christ, we do dwell with Christ. We are told that our names are written in the book of life, a book that is under the care of our Lord. When David trusts in God, he is safe. It is in the house of God on earth he finds the strength and encouragement to continue in that. That's why, David places, <clears throat> that's why David puts such an emphasis on the place of worship in the Psalms. It's the same for us. We don't worship at the temple, but gathering together in the house of God, the house of God being the body of Christ where the Spirit is revealed. And here, among the people of God, we find the sustenance we need for our journey. We are made confident that we do dwell in the house of the Lord. We are made confident that the Lord will give us victory over our enemies.
This is why our face-to-face worship is so important. By our communion with a people who are full of the Spirit, we are encouraged with our spiritual war with the devils in our lives. We gather before God where we have a taste of the future truth that David speaks of in our psalm. And now my head shall be lifted up by, above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices. In our case, the Spirit worked living sacrifices of our worship and good works. With shouts of joy, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. That lifting up of the head. You can see a bit of a picture of that in the baptism today. It's baptism is not just a washing of water, but it's a promise of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so our heads are lifted up above our enemies all around us. In that context, we can boldly say, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take care of me. And that brings us to our third point, gazing upon the Lord. So what's the main purpose of this dwelling in the house of the Lord? We're brought to the final clause of this verse, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. This phrase, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, is a unique phrase in the Scripture and speaks especially to the moral beauty of the Lord, the beauty of His righteousness represented in the beauty of His temple. But it points even more to the wondrous acts of the Lord, His righteousness and His faithfulness throughout history. The stories of Scripture, how God preserves His people, are beautiful to us. For the word beauty in the Hebrew is connected to the word for the favor of the Lord. The favor, the mercy of the Lord as He works to refine us seven times as, he, as a psalm, I believe it's Psalm 9 that says that. Psalm 7, actually. And that's, yeah, that's the, that's the beauty of the Lord and His work in us. If we think about that in terms of what the Lord teaches us in the New Testament, about how the body of the Christ is the house of the Lord, we see this beauty in how He cares for the lives of the saints. We see the beauty of the Lord in how He cares for His church. Think about the fact that this is how Paul characterizes the church in Ephesians 5. Christ dies for the church and cleanses her so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So we see the beauty of the Lord in his wondrous deeds. And to inquire in his temple. We can think again of of Jesus asking questions in the temple of God. 
We can think about of how we seek to grow in the knowledge of God among us and seek to encourage one another in greater and greater moral purity and good deeds. We delight in God's beauty and we delight in His teaching so that more and more we look like our Heavenly Father. And this is where all the teaching in the psalm is something that is continual. We seek to grow closer to God. We seek to go, know God evermore. And the results of that closeness are peace and trust in the face of conflict. A knowledge that our God will never cast us off. A knowledge that our God will vindicate us against our enemies. And knowledge that we will be permitted to grow continually in love and knowledge of Him who is our light and our salvation. Ultimately, verse 4 of Psalm 27 is, is a summary of the Christian life. It's a summary of what it is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. As we worship the Lord this morning, ponder these words. We have an opportunity to approach the Lord, to enjoy Him, to hear His Word. That Word is something of the beauty of the Lord. To think upon the great things that He has done and the great things that He is doing in the hearts of each person that gathers before the Lord here today. And knowing who the Lord is, let us wait on Him and depend on Him in the face of our conflicts. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing together in response from Psalm 134.